0: Welcome to Kick the Dogma, I'm your host, John Emmerich, and this is the Q1 Wrap and Look Forward. The podcast kicked off earlier this year with an interview with Robin Wigglesworth, which itself started with a discussion about Norway and Chile, the two top performing equity markets that we've been following. Chile is up almost 14% just in price, no dividend reinvestment or what we'd call total return. Norway is up about 7%, and in between was Australia up almost 11%. All three bested the S&P 500 despite an insanely strong dollar, so quite a feat, and both further bested the EFA index, the Europe, Far East, and Asia ETF. The dog amongst my portfolio was South Korea down 2%, but Korea outperformed China, and I still think Korea is one of the great bargains on the planet. There was an article just yesterday about European car manufacturers cutting back on production because of a loss of component supply coming out of Russia. Kia and Hyundai have exposure there. They have an assembly plant in St. Petersburg, but I don't think their plants in the rest of the world are being supplied by Russia, so European pain could be South Korea's gain. But here's my more personal story about Kia. I just traded in my Toyota Highlander for a Kia Nero, all EV, just a few weeks ago, and it might be my next best investment after Norway and Chile year to date. The way it works in Colorado, which may not be everywhere, I've been told it isn't in California, but here... Not only did I get peak trade-in value for my used car, as anybody would today, but I paid sales tax only on the difference in value between the two cars. I'll get my $7,500 federal tax credit, something from the state, and of course, I'll never take that car to the gas station again. EVs are going to be really tough to get at any price in the future because not only of part shortages, but the base and rare metals needed to make the cars, and especially the batteries, are increasingly in short supply. I'm still avoiding Europe proper. I just can't forecast what great developments might follow a ceasefire in Ukraine as welcome as that would be. After all the war crimes, even if we get a settlement, do countries in Europe, do companies that do business all over the world go back to business as usual with Russia? I think that's going to be problematic while Putin is in charge. That could just be me. But that and my upcoming comment on Iran convinced me that alternative energy and EVs are secular growth trends around the world for the next 10 to 20 years. I've said it before, 10 years from now, energy independence won't be how much oil you have in the ground, it's how much alternative energy generation, distribution, and storage capacity you have as a country. It's going to take a while, and Norway is sitting pretty until then, in my opinion, but it seems inevitable. And lastly, as Germans specifically and Europe generally are finding out, energy independence is independence, period. Period. Other than that, rather growthy exposure, I'm defensively positioned in the US with healthcare, consumer staples, and industrials. I still own Norway, Chile, South Korea, and Australia, and have smaller positions in Mexico, Japan, Canada, and Singapore. We published three podcasts this year with references to or updates on inflation, including a review of the prophetic The Great Wave by David Hackett Fisher. If you listen to that book review about the four price revolutions again, you'll know how ominous it is that wages right now in the U.S. after getting a strong boost in the last year have started to lag price increases. That exacerbates inequality and will eventually hit demand. There's an old saying that the cure for high prices is high prices, and you might see that play out in oil as an example the rest of the year in the general economy after that. I mentioned Iran just before. Other potential downsides the rest of the year is not getting a nuclear deal done with Iran, and worse, Potential skirmishes breaking out in that part of the world. Other news that doesn't paint a pretty picture, the yield curve inverted this week between two years and ten years. Now, this is a famous predictor of coming recessions, but the caveat is that it's not a great timing tool. I can look outside, see it's raining, and predict a recession in the next five to ten years with a high degree of confidence. That's not very useful, however. The two to ten slope has inverted in advance of seven of the last eight recessions and never sent a false signal. But on average, you had to wait 16 months post-inversion, with the longest wait being two years. Of course, the market is a discounting mechanism, so the equity market might shoot first and ask questions later, although it didn't care today. A better yield curve indicator is the 3-month to 10-year slope, which inverts on average 11 months before the recession and has been right 8 out of 8 recessions without a false signal. This part of the curve is still quite steep, not close to inverting. If you're interested in other confirmation outside the yield curve, look for the LEI leading economic indicators to go negative year over year three months in a row or unemployment to rise by three-tenths of a percent off the bottom. Neither of those are close to indicating a recession in the next 12 months. While we're on treasury bonds, they feel buyable again to me. At least they did as soon as the 10-year hit two and a half percent, and I bought some. My feeling was that the curve would invert before it hit three percent on the 10-year, So far, so true. There could be some downside left in intermediate bonds, but with all the uncertainty in the world right now, I'm happy to own some for a hedge to equities as much as an income generator. It's been a while since I've owned any bonds. So go back and listen to the Great Wave book review. It's not long. Pay attention to the presence in each wave of income inequality and the culmination of the price revolution in stagflation. That's what we're going to be looking for. Have a great weekend and happy investing.